Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we are heading to the theater. That's right, the theater. Tomorrow is August 13th, a Friday the 13th, mind you. And if that's not awesome enough, if Alfred Hitchcock was alive today, it would be his 120th birthday. Now... As you know, in his lifetime, Alfred would become known as the master of suspense thanks to his movies. And we're talking such great movies as Suspicion, Notorious, Vertigo, Psycho, The Wrong Man, 39 Steps. And I mean, we're just naming a few. And in these movies, he is responsible for some serious iconic scenes, iconic lines, iconic movie moments okay so let's talk Hitchcock like I said before he was born on August 13th 1899 in Lingtonstone of East London England he was English his parents were Emma Jane Hitchcock and William Edgar Hitchcock he was their third and final child after having William and Elaine Kathleen his childhood would be described as a lonely one, and he was often left to his own amusing devices, which I'm sure contributed to the development of his imagination. It also helped that he grew up hearing about the horrors of Jack the Ripper. As an adult, he worked in the sales department for W.T. Henley's Telegraph Works Company in 1916, He enrolled into the University of London, taking drawing and design classes. In 1918, he then took a position in Henley's Telegraph Advertisement Department. But his big first shift happens in 1920 when he lands a job designing title cards for which, again, silent films are required for the American film company called The Famous Players, which had actually opened a British branch in Islington. Now, in 1922, the famous players actually closed its British branch, but he remains in Islington and begins working on films for independent producers. Slowly but surely, he begins taking on more and more responsibilities, such as working as the art director, the producer, the designer, the editor, the assistant director, and writer. Now, of course... He goes on to test the direct waters, if you will. And his very first movie that he puts together is actually a comedy called Mrs. Peabody. Um, And for some reason, it also has a second name called Number 13. I'm not really sure. But it never gets completed for the lack of funding. However, 
his first completed film gets released in 1929 called Always Tell Your Wife. So, and, and in actually in that one, he co-directs, but he actually doesn't receive any credits for that. But he goes on to make The Pleasure Garden, The Mountain Eagle, but it is the 1927 thriller called The Lodger, A Story of the London Fog, that brings him to to stardom. It's his big hit. It's big first hit. And believe it or not, it's the tale of a gentleman who comes to London. He's acting mysteriously. He has very strange habits. He rents a room. He's a lodger, hence the title. And at this time, London itself is gripped with fears of basically a Jack the Ripper. So the concern is the people who are renting the room to him is concerned that this gentleman is actually the Ripper. So this is actually a huge hit for him. And this is the first film in which he makes his trademark cameo appearance. Now, his next blockbuster will be a movie called Blackmail. And it is literally the year's biggest hit in England. And as it would be as technology advances, it would become the first British film to make use of synchronizing sound with voices. And so it actually started out being filmed as a silent film, but as this technology became available, he uses the technology in this movie. So it's actually the first talkie as well. Now, this movie which I've also seen, is great. I actually enjoyed this movie, especially by comparison to The Lodger, which I personally didn't really care for. But this is where he also starts to learn the power of iconic scenes and the power of a really good background. And this is where he starts his, you know, monumental chase scenes through iconic or monuments, if you will. Now, he goes on and he makes a couple more movies. The Paycock, the uh, Easter Tree Calling, but it's actually a movie called The Man Who Knew Too Much. So about four, four or five years later, that becomes his first international hit. Okay, The Man Who Knew Too Much stars a up and coming German actor by the name of Peter Lore, who I love. I love this movie. I love this version of this movie. And it's basically while at a shooting competition in Switzerland, this couple inadvertently uh, ascertains or gets information, secret spy information that they didn't have any prior knowledge to. And as the bad guys decide, you know, we need to get that back, they snatch this couple's daughter and holds her ransom basically until they get the needed information. This movie is just a huge hit and he's actually starting to get recognized across the pond in America. And then he goes on to make another awesome movie called 39 Steps in 1935. Again, it's all about spies and who has the information and chase scenes and beautiful ladies it's a great movie i thoroughly enjoyed it and i mean he's just going he's making success movie after success movie after success movie and then in 1938 he actually makes one of my favorite movies the lady vanishes with margaret lockwood 
She's just a single chicka chicka boom boom who's right in the rails in Europe. She's actually on her way to get married. And she meets an elderly woman who literally vanishes on a train. And she goes around trying to find this old lady. And everyone's acting like they never even seen the woman. So it's a great movie. But this movie just once again confirms his skill as a master director. Now about this time, David Selznick, who if you're familiar with cinematic history, he was part of the whole Gone with the Wind success. He was the producer of that. He actually extends a contract to, to Hitchcock to which you know Hitchcock readily jumps on, but not before making another British film called Jamaica Inn. I was eh about that one. Marina O'Hara, who I adore, she's in it. She's beautiful. And maybe I just didn't watch a very good copy of it. But either way, it's not going to be on my recommendation list. But to America he goes. And in 1940, he makes the movie Rebecca. And Rebecca is amazing. It goes on to get 11 Oscar nominations, including Best Director, which he does not win. And with this, his career, I mean, just takes off. There is no holding him back. He will go on to be nominated for five Oscars. And unfortunately, this is one accolade that he will never ascertain. It will elude him forever. But as most of you know, he loved having cameo moments in his movies. And eventually, he's in at least 39 cameo roles throughout his movie-making career. The most clever, I believe, is in the movie Lifeboat, where you guessed it, they're on a lifeboat. But for all of his movies and cameos, it is the movie Shadow of a Doubt that Hitchcock himself always said was his favorite movie. And Shadow of a Doubt was actually filmed right here in Northern California, Petaluma, California, to be more specific. Now, as this is a travel podcast, let's talk about some of the places featured in his movies that you can still visit today. So, for the movie Psycho, our thieving heroine who cruises on by a dealership located at 4270 Lancashire Boulevard and Toluca Lake, Los Angeles. Folks, today there's still a dealership that you can cruise on by and follow her route, Janet Lee's route, to her unpleasant shower scene, if you will, that we all know that does not end well for good old Janet. As for Vertigo, which was predominantly shot in San Francisco, California, you can visit both Jimmy's and Madeline's favorite church in San Francisco, the Mission Dolores, which is located at 3321 16th Street in downtown San Francisco. You can also visit the Golden Gate Bridge at Four Point, where, you know, Madeline jumps off and Jimmy saves her. It is also... Side, side note, the site of Mel Brooks' Ode to Hitchcock in his classic High Anxiety, which I love that movie as well. As for Madeline's apartment, you can cruise by 1000 Mason Street or for Jimmy's pad, it's at 900 Lombard Street. And if you're up for a drive, you can do the 94 miles to Mission San Juan Batista and visit the death side of Madeline twice because she dies twice. Spoilers, if you haven't seen it. you got to see it to understand how that happens. But anyway, 
As for the birds, which was also shot here in Northern California, if you cruise on in to the town of Bodega at 17110 Bodega Lane, you can actually click a few shots of the Potter Skull that was used in the iconic playground scene. Now, I have actually been there, and it was kind of shocking because in the movie, it looks like there's kind of like a straight road from the Potter Schoolhouse down into the town of Bodega Bay, and that is actually inaccurate. Thanks to Hitchcock's editing process, his movie magic, it is not even remotely close to the actual bay itself. It was actually kind of surprising. I was taken aback, to be honest with you guys. But to make up for it, you can still visit and dine at the Tides Wharf restaurant when the lady loses her shit and someone's got a slapper. So there's that. You can mull over all of these movie magic moments eating some delicious fish and chips. Now, as I said before, Shadow of a Doubt was also filmed on location here in Northern California, Petaluma, California. The family home that was utilized is located at 904 McDonald Avenue. And if you drive around, you could spot the Scream home, the home that was used in the wonderful, in my opinion, Wes Craven Scream movie, located at 3871 Tamales Petaluma Road. Now, as for that harrowing railroad scene, you can still see the railroad building. I'll bet it is closed now, but you can still see the remnants of the station. Moving on to North by Northwest. That's right. If you are up for the drive, you can take the trek up the Sirius North and check out the iconic Mount Rushmore. And you can view firsthand the four presidents etched literally in stone. As for the movie Saboteur, you can visit America's most iconic symbol of liberty and justice, the Statue of Liberty, on Liberty Island, just outside New York City. Now, one of the movies I had the opportunity to see last summer that I was just astounded with, and do believe that Mr. Robert Walker totally deserved the Oscar that he was nominated for and did win, is Strangers on a Train. Now, this is is an awesome movie. It, it, it showcases, again, the great use of color contrast. It also showcases the use of iconic scenic backgrounds. And so if you're in the District of Columbia, you can head to 900 Ohio Drive to check out the Jefferson Memorial that it was used in the movie. Uh, you can also go to... 50 Massachusetts Avenue for the Union Station that was used. And you can check out the National Gallery of Art located on Constitutional Avenue. And again, this movie, which was also partly filmed in California as well, but it definitely is a great movie. And again, Robert Walker definitely earned his Oscar in this movie. Now, if you are a huge fan of Rebecca... Believe it or not, the opening shot of her talking of Rebecca, actually Mrs. DeWinter, you don't even know her name. She doesn't have, the poor girl doesn't even have a name because Rebecca just overshadows her. But she talks about, I dreamt last night, and there's this beautiful nature shot. Well, believe it or not, that opening shot was also shot here in Northern California at the Point Lobo State Nature Reserve. So if you're a big fan, 
and you're somewhere near Point Lobo, <laughs> you could take that cruise. I don't know if you recognize the iconic driving shot, but you would be in the right area. Now, with regards to international locations, and with regards to my personal favorite movie, To Catch a Thief, you can certainly drive down that lovely stretch of road known as the Grand Corniche, just above Monte Carlo, that Grace Kelly and Cary Grant cruises down, pulls over, has a little bit of a chicken, (laughs) a little bit of a picnic, if you will, just on the side of the road. Now, also sadly, this is the same stretch of road that unfortunately Grace Kelly dies on September 14th, 1982, in a car accident with her daughter, Princess Stephanie. Being honest, I do think it's kind of creepy that you filmed an excellent movie years before it's the same location that you actually die in. So that's a yikesies for Vina. But either way, you can still cruise the area and see some of the sites that still were utilized in this wonderful, wonderful movie. Now, as this is a paranormal podcast, let's talk about a reputable haunted location that was used for one of his films. I'm referring to the Potter School that was used in the movie, The Birds. The Potter Schoolhouse was at one time an actual school, and it was actually used as such for 86 years. During the course of making the movie, The Birds, both cast and crew reportedly felt that there was something strange about the old building, and some of them even refused to even re-enter the old Potter House school. And one of the prevailing complaint was the feeling of something unseen watching them. Like they didn't like they just felt like they were being watched and that was certainly not something that they were comfortable with. Now the school was built in 1873. So by the time they filmed the movie there, it was it's pretty old. It's got some history underneath it. The school itself was named after Samuel Potter, who had donated the land to have the school built on. And the school consists of two classrooms downstairs and a big community hall upstairs. So, I mean, it was utilized for various functions and, you know, obviously a focal point of the town. In 1859, the school itself closed, and in 1961, Hitchcock actually rents the property from a private owner. Then, in 1966, a couple by the name of Tom and Mary Taylor, who, ironically, were both teachers, bought the schoolhouse for just over $10,000. And for the next two years, they actually start restoring the building. With them came their children. And apparently, the haunting began immediately. As in, it was reported that the very morning that they spent the night in the house, as they were all in their sleeping bags on the second floor, the whole family heard someone scream, it's Sunday morning, from an unknown source. And the creepiness, the voices, the hauntings continue from there. Sometimes they heard large groups of people talking at once. Other times it sounded as if there was an invisible rowdy party going on. In addition to this, the family also heard the sounds of children's footsteps and their laughter. And at one point in time, they actually named one of the ghosts 
Lucky Tom, because this guy, this spirit, this, you know, trickster, apparently would, like, stick a wet finger in the ears of the people, of the of the family members. And, it, I mean, I don't know how ghosts can do that, but either way, it was reported that he would do, like, basically play this prank on them, which I would find annoying, quite personally. And in addition to Tricky Tom, they would actually see apparitions move about inside the building. Now, the Taylor's daughter, Leah, had taken on the home after her parents. And along with her husband, Rick, they had witnessed several apparitions. But the one that startled Leah the most was seeing the apparition of a small girl levitating in a doorway that leads into the kitchen. And the little girl was like, hi, (laughs) to which I'm sure would have freaked me out. Now, the little girl's apparition is not alone. The ghost of a woman dressed in Victoria clothing has been photographed inside the home. So there's pictures of her. And tourists who have gone to the home to take pictures, you know, like, oh, my God, it's the house. It's the schoolhouse from the birds. Click, click, click. They actually have captured the image of a man standing at one of the second-story windows. And it is believed, based on the pictures, that this could potentially be a former teacher who was teaching at the school in the early 1900s by the name of Calvin Keithley. Now, I personally cannot imagine why it is that a ghost would want to haunt a school. But I will say, I personally have worked in a former school and the building was haunted. Why? I don't know. But here again, this is a well-established haunted location. Now, the Taylor family does occasionally open up the house for special events. But it's like the... the the popularity of the movie, even though we're talking 60 years ago, guys, this movie came out. The people still come. They still want to ask questions. They still gawk. I did it. I can understand why other people do it. And so because of this, you know, like, they ended up having a fence built around their property. But there is a plaque. They're gracious enough to put a plaque out there to confirm that, yes, this is the schoolhouse that was used. So, but like I said... It's been confirmed that this place, I mean, even the family will tell you, that this place is legitimately haunted. Now, as my listeners know, sometimes I do road trips with the panda. Generally speaking, these road trips entail some sort of true crime, murders, thieves, serial killers, you know, your basic plain sick-ass people. And I don't mean sick-ass in a cool way. I mean in the unmurderous cool way. And a lot of Hitchcock films actually had to do with crime and injustice and some type of finding, you know, the chase to find the real bad guy, the real killer. And, I mean, here we're talking North by Northwest, Saboteur, even the movie The Wrong Man (laughs) is about this poor innocent person being accused of a crime he didn't commit and then, you know, you have to figure out who is the bad guy. But when we're looking at true crime involving a serial killer, we have to look at the movie Psycho. Like a lot of Hitchcock movies, Psycho was based on a book. The book was written by Robert Bloch in 1957. Robert 
lived in Wisconsin, about 40 miles away from Plainsville, Wisconsin. Guys, remember who's from Plainsville? Why, Ed Gaines, of course. So after hearing on the radio about all of the atrocities committed by Gaines, Robert was inspired. It took him approximately five to six weeks to type out a story about an ordinary man working an ordinary job, living with his dominating mother, having no real established personality of his own, and taking on his mother's personality all the while running a hotel, basically someone who blended in with their surroundings, a quiet man living a simple life in a simple town, committing heinous acts of violence. Your basic living a dual life. Now, again, going back to the idea of assuming his mother's personalities, which is what Gaines did, is also why Bates dresses as his mother. She does all the killing. Augusta Gaines, Ed's mother, considered every woman a whore and should burn in hell. So, guess what? Norman, assuming his mother's personality, like Gaines assumed his mother's personality, basically killed the evil whores. And so, it all comes full circle. And as an extra tidbit, thanks to this movie, when Hitchcock wanted to film a movie at Disneyland, Walt Disney was like, nah, bro, you were the one that made that vile movie Psycho, so not my Mickey, not my park, and denied Hitchcock his request. Okay, so we've talked about the paranormal, and we've talked about some true crime. Let's talk for a quick moment about true events. Believe it or not, and yes, I am going back to the movie The Birds, this movie was inspired by actual events. In Santa Cruz Sentinel, August 18, 1961, there is an account of thousands of birds raining down on the sky at 3 a.m. in the morning. And what they did was they crashed into homes, they crashed into cars at both Capitola and Pleasure Point, which is located off the Monterey Bay. Eight people were reportedly bitten, and word of the bird invasion spread like wildfire. As it was, Alfred Hitchcock himself actually called and requested a copy of the Santa Cruz Sentinel, which was a newspaper, a copy of that day's report regarding the incident. As it was, Hitchcock was in the works of adapting a 1952 story written by Daffy DeMar, the same chicka chicka boom boom who wrote Rebecca regarding birds who just go crazy and suddenly attack the humans. And wouldn't you know it, two years later, in 1963, Hitchcock's The Birds premieres. Now, of course, there's always all these theories and conspiracies, one being, one theory being that the birds got lost in the fog. And with the low visibility, they just, you know, flew as a group together and just basically took a nosedive into the wrong direction. But I do actually think they eventually came to the conclusion that because of this weird, strange phenomenon that created toxic algae that was eaten by the local fish and the local fish being eaten by the birds caused the birds to literally go insane in the membrane, and hence a real-life horror moment was born. 
But for all of his iconic movies that still reflect our current culture, alas, on April 29, 1980, the master of suspense forged into the greatest mystery of them all and died in his Bel Air home due to renal failure. Now, as I said before, I'm a big fan. And I, of course, have my top five. But before I say which my top five are of his movies, I should like to make mention of the honorable mentions. Uh, The Birds, being one of them. Vertigo. The Trouble with Harry. Rear Window. And 39 Steps. Those are the honorable mentions. But for my top five favorite, number five is The Man Who Knew Too Much, the 1939 Peter Lore version. The Lady Vanishes. Again, it's a fabulous movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Another great one coming at number three is Strangers on a Train. Again, I cannot stress enough just how well he uses the background to set the tone, to set the creepy, uncomfortable feeling that you have watching this movie. My second to the top, and it's very close to being number one, is To Catch a Thief. I love this movie. This movie makes Cary Grant Cary Grant. He is classic. He is smooth. He is the debonair Cary Grant. Grace Kelly is beautiful. She's gorgeous. This movie is stunning visually, and it's witty. Cary Grant is witty. So it's an all-around enjoyable movie, but my top Hitchcock movie ever is Notorious. Also starring Cary Grant, but with the awesome and gorgeous leading lady, Inga Birdman. So there you have it. But again, he's made so many fabulous movies. And he's just created this culture. The, his, the Hitchcockian culture of murder, of mystery, of suspense. And uh, he earned the title, The Master of Suspense. And I honestly cannot think of any director who has gone decades of making masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece. So, wherever you are, again, happy birthday, Alfred Hitchcock. Excuse me, Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, so that is all I have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I have a Facebook page of where the dark corners are, and if you're curious, take a look, send my request. However, if you have a place that you would someday like to hear about where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 